0: This is TanakhCast. Welcome to TanakhCast. Because I like to think about important things, you know, I've been thinking about the t-shirt. Because there's nothing like putting the cart before the horse. And besides a killer logo, which is in development as we speak, one must always have a snappy tagline. So so here we go, and I think this is a winner. Ready? Ready? <clears throat> Give us 18 minutes, and we'll give you the whole Tanakh. Yes, the whole Tanakh. At the rate of about four chapters every week or ten days or so, it'll take some time to give you the whole Tanakh, but if you're patient and stick with me, we might learn a thing or two about the Book of Books together. But hold a moment, what is the Tanakh? And am I just clearing my throat, or is that a voiceless uvular fricative I detect? Tanakh is a Hebrew word, an acronym really, for Torah, Nevi'im, and Ketuvim. Or in English, Torah, Prophets, and the Writings. In other words, the Tanakh is the Jewish Bible. Every 10 days or so, probably, maybe a little bit less, maybe a little bit more, we'll look at 3, 4, and sometimes 5 chapters in the Tanakh, starting in Genesis and concluding with 2 Chronicles in about 5 years or so. Each week's episode will begin with a short summary of the three, four, or five chapters, followed by what I call a rumination about a particular chapter, a particular story, a verse, or even a phrase. For now, y'all have to put up with me doing much of the ruminating, but as Tanakhcast works its way through the 929 chapters of the Tanakh, yes, 929 chapters, I'll be inviting some folks to share their thoughts about their favorite stories, verses, and even favorite phrases. So, by some freak occurrence, you've downloaded TanakhCast at the iTunes store or you've come to my website. Now what? Will there be homework? Not at all. TanakhCast is designed for your maximal listening pleasure and edification. Subscribe to the podcast and join us from the beginning and follow our progress as we work through each section of the Tanakh each week to 10 days. Each episode's title will let you know what we'll be Tanakh casting about. So if you want to read the three or four or five chapters ahead of time, uh, that would make for a rather interesting listening experience. But if you just want to listen, that works just as well too. And I hear that listening to Tanakh cast on the treadmill reduces lactic acid buildup by 36%. My hope is that after about five years, when and if Tanakhcast survives the zombie apocalypse, all of the Tanakh will be ruminated upon and fully digested, and you, dear listener, can then feel free to nibble from the buffet any way you please. But until then, please subscribe to us at iTunes and join the Facebook page at facebook.com slash Tanakhcast, that's T-A-N-A-K-H-C-A-S-T, and leave comments and reviews at iTunes, Facebook, and on whichever social network platform you find yourself or has yet to be invented, wherever and whenever you can. Because that's how this podcasting thing works, apparently. So, before we officially begin, some more preamble. A word, or five, or ten, about what terminology I'll use, which edition of the Tanakh tickles my fancy, and then perhaps some thoughts about the Tanakh's origins, its function as a discrete, coherent text, its narratorial voice, structure, historicity, divine authorship, You know, the lightweight, totally uncontroversial stuff. (laughs) Terminology. I'll be referring to the Tanakh as the Tanakh, working the back of my throat with subtlety and grace each time. Some folks prefer Bible, but for me, and methinks most Christians, the Bible includes the New Testament, and I think this podcasting cycle is long enough without including the four Gospels, the Acts of the Apostles, Paul's Epistles, and the Apocalypse. I mean... The Hobbit was one book, right? Why three movies? Why? Bible lovers might prefer the Jewish Bible or Old Testament for the purposes of this podcast, but nah. Those names, besides being a bit clunky for serious and frequent use, strike me as a bit too particularistic and a little bit judgmental. So, Tanakh, with its voiceless, uvular fricative it is. And yet... For ease of comprehension and for those of you following along at home, I'll be referring to the names of the books by their English names. It's confusing, maybe, but I trust you all will manage. And as for the text I'll be using for Tanakhcast, I'll deploy the 2000 Everett Fox translation, otherwise known as the Shokken Bible Volume 1. And I'm still waiting for Shokin Bible Volume 2. It's been 12 years. Anyway... For the Nach portion of the program, I will employ the 2001 JPS or Jewish Publication Society edition. Although I hear that uh, Robert Alter has something coming out soon, I might use that. Together, these translations depart dramatically from the Stentorian tone of the King James. Fox, more so than the JPS, is playful and poetic, yet both are more loyal to the original Hebrew in word and tone. Together, they make the Tanakh a more interesting, fresh, and compelling read. Here's one example. King James renders the first three verses of Genesis as follows. In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, Let there be light, and there was light. Now here's Everett Fox's rendering of the same three verses. The beginning of God's creating of the heavens and the earth. And the earth was wild and waste, darkness over the face of the ocean. The rushing spirit of God hovering over the face of the waters. God said, let there be light, and there was light. Though Fox's beginning doesn't sound right because of our overfamiliarity with the King James, if you look at the Hebrew, Fox's rendering captures the cadence of the original as well as its intricate construction. For example, the phrase used to describe the pre-created earth, tohu vavohu, appears nowhere else in the Tanakh. It has become, however, a common Hebrew phrase for chaos or mess. Fox renders the phrase as the alliterative wild and waste. Hear that? Wild and waste? Capturing not only the idea of mess, but also some of the assonance and alliteration in the original Hebrew tohu vavohu. Before I get to the question of the Tanakh's origins, A word or two about the coherence of the Tanakh as a discrete unit. Many folks read the Tanakh as history and as a unit, but as a history book, it's a bit of a muddle. The Tanakh is pretty clear about history's beginning on day one, but there's some confusion about where the Tanakh's run of history ends. If you look at the last verse of the last book, 2 Chronicles 36, verse 23, it recounts what is known as the Cyrus Proclamation, whereby the Achaemenid king Cyrus the Great permits the Jews to return from Babylonian exile to the land of Israel in 538 BCE. But here's the thing. If you have, say, all the books of the Tanakh shelved and you crack open the book of Ezra, which is two books before the last book on the shelf, right, two chronicles, the story there begins where two chronicles leaves off, that is, with the return to Zion whose third wave was led by Ezra. Ezra, if you don't know who he is, we'll get into him a lot later, he was a sofer, a scribe and redactor of the Torah. He was also a kohen, a priest from the renowned family of priests whose lineage could be traced back to the first priest Aharon's son, Pinchas. He arrived in Yehudah, quoting Ezra chapter 7, verse 7, quote, in the seventh year of Artaxerxes the king. Now, depending on which Artaxerxes you're referring to, Ezra might have returned to Yehudah in 458 BCE or 397 BCE. Considering the former date, Ezra's third wave came approximately 80 years after the first wave of Babylonian returnees. The second dating would have him arrive 141 years after the initial return. Like I said, the Tanakh as history is a bit of a muddle. But if numbers are not your strong suit, then perhaps the more allegorical or fantastical elements might temper one's historical passion. Step right up, step right up, folks. We have a prowling snake straight from the Garden of Eden. If you thought Eor was a crutch, check out Bilam's ass from the book of Numbers. I'm not referring to his toes. Behind this curtain, ladies and gentlemen, from Genesis chapter 6. The sons of god canoodling with human females behind that steel door locked up to contain their savagery my personal favorite the wild bears of judea of two kings so ferocious they can devour 42 surly teens that's my list the tanakh also includes curious sub-anthologies like the wisdom trilogy of job proverbs and psalms or the five scrolls or the 12 minor prophets which, for the history-loving Tanakh consumer, are really just tangents from the main narrative thrust. And then there are the anachronisms, like Avraham coming from Ur of the Chaldees, when the Chaldeans didn't exist until about 13 centuries after what historians called the Patriarchal Period. But who's counting? Or the debate about whether camels had been domesticated before or after the Patriarchal Period, which I suppose I could go into right now, but the debate kind of schleps and schleps and ultimately revels in its lack of conclusiveness so i'll spare you so the tanakh might not work as a work of history and hangs together somewhat loosely as a coherent unit and could have hung even more loosely had those other books been included in the tanakh that's right i said other books yes other books apocryphal books These books, they didn't make the cut, which means that there was a thoughtful editorial process that went into establishing the canon, that is, which books are in the Tanakh and which books are not in the Tanakh. And this editorial process was not limited to the Tanakh, but it also shaped what we call the Torah as well. Now, this is commonly known as the documentary hypothesis, the idea that the Torah was not written as a coherent unit by God on Mount Sinai, but patched together over the course of decades, if not centuries. Scholars assert that because of the attention to ritual purity, a priest or a group of priests must have authored the book of Leviticus. This author or authors dubbed P for priestly, however, was not the Torah's lone author according to this proposition. The author or authors of sections of Genesis, Exodus, and fragments of numbers in which God is referred to as Yahweh or Jehovah is known as J. And similarly, parallel sections of the same books referring to God as Elohim or Adonai Elohim were written by E. And then there's D, the author or authors of the book of Deuteronomy, which came, as the theory goes, as a later addition to the Torah in the 7th century BCE. Some have argued that D may have also written the books of Joshua, Judges, Samuel, and Kings. Scholars call this industrious individual or individuals the Deuteronomist. Much later, R or the redactors, came along in two phases to edit and combine J with E in the 8th century BCE, then centuries later to combine J-E with P and D around 400 BCE. Though one cannot say definitively, scholars have argued that two criteria guided the decision-making. The book had to be written in Hebrew or Aramaic, and that it could not be younger than the time of Ezra. The Tanakh itself alludes to some books that predate Ezra. They predate the Tanakh itself, but they are lost to us. Such as the book of the wars of the Lord mentioned in Numbers. Sefer Hayashar, or the book of the upright, is mentioned in Joshua and 2 Samuel. The manner of the kingdom is referenced in 1 Samuel. A book of songs is mentioned in 1 Kings, as is the Acts of Solomon. Also, 1 Kings mentions the chronicles of the kings of Israel. The Chronicles of the Kings of Judah, also mentioned in 1 Kings, is generally regarded to be 2 Chronicles. 1 and 2 Chronicles mentions additional prophetic books, such as the Book of Nathan the Prophet, the Book of God the Seer, the Book of Shemaiah, and the Book of Edo the Seer. Well, you can't include what's unavailable, but later editors decided to exclude other books that were readily available, such as the Book of Esdras, Tobit, Judith. Additions to Esther, Wisdom of Solomon, Ecclesiasticus, otherwise known as the Wisdom of Sira, Baruch with the Letter of Jeremiah, Song of the Three Young Men and a Prayer of Azariah, the Story of Susanna, Bel and the Dragon, the Prayer of Manasseh, One Maccabees and Two Maccabees. But here's the thing, even with the two guiding criteria, there was definitely some fudging going on during the editing process. Daniel, which made the cut, was written several hundred years after the time of Ezra, Several books in the earlier list have been found in the original Hebrew, in the Dead Sea Scrolls, the Kairogeniza, and at Masada, including a Hebrew text of Bensirah and additions to Esther, as well as an Aramaic text of Tobin and Daniel. The same is true for 1 Maccabees and Judith, which were also composed originally in the approved languages. Huh. Confused? Me too. Nevertheless, for me, the Tanakh is a compelling narrative, one full of wisdom, humor, bathos, and pathos. It's it's full of sex and mayhem, irony, and blasphemy. It is spiritually challenging, and if the last few minutes are of any indication of what's to come, intellectually confounding. I've heard it said that the Tanakh can be summarized in one sentence. God wants the Jewish people to behave, and the Jews say No. And many folks recount that sentence with pride, indicating that we Jews have a long-standing tradition of being difficult. But if we look at that statement with an emphasis on the first part, then one might say that the Tanakh is really about God and how we understand how God understands the world in which we humans live. Our world, our very human world and experience, is a much tougher nut to crack. Even God has a hard time figuring it out sometimes. So let's get to it, shall we? Please feel free to leave a comment, question, or my comment at the Facebook page at facebookcom or at the nexttwo.com, or comment, question, or comment the iTunes store. And while you're at it, why not leave a review? That way, other folks. Beginning of Genesis chapters 1, 3. back now. Here?